You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take a seat this morning. Uh, get with me right to Jonah chapter 2. We're not going to waste any time with an intro. Lots to cover today. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to slip your hand up. We'd love to get a copy of God's Word right in your palm of your hand, in your lap, that you'd follow along and know that this is a message that's not coming from a guy. It's coming from uh, the Lord. Uh, Jonah chapter 2. I'll give you a few seconds to get there. So I love to hear the pages of Bibles turning. You know that, right? And so get there, and then I'll give you a few seconds, and I'll just jump right in. Jonah uh, chapter 2 this morning. Remember sword drills when you were a kid? Go. All right, Jonah 2. Caleb would have won. He was done like that. He's one of those kids in the sword drill that opened up his Bible. It was just there. Uh, We're going to pick up the story of Jonah today. If you remember from last week, God is calling and yet Jonah is running and we left him bobbing in the sea, basically doomed to destruction. And so we're picking up uh, chapter two. We're going to start actually at verse one, chapter one, verse 17. We touched on it last week, but it really lends well to both sides. So here we go. Uh, Jonah uh, bobbing in the sea, ruined, destroyed, yet this is what happens. Starting at chapter one, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish, to swallow up Jonah. If you hadn't read this story before, you'd think this is a bad thing, right? That's not, never a good thing to be swallowed by a fish. And yet Jonah was in the belly of the fish for only three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from within the belly of the fish, saying this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, yet, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. What a story! Right? Like, what a story. Like, who writes this stuff? I I wouldn't come up with this grand story in my own mind and imagination. God writes this stuff. Only God could orchestrate the events of one man's life. A prophet who was running from him could orchestrate the events of one one man's life in such an unbelievable way that his activity is undeniable. And here's the lesson we learned from Jonah chapter 2. It's plain and simple. We clearly see a picture of a God that is a God that's like this. It's a God who never gives up on his people. I thought there'd be a few of those out there. You could respond to me. I'm one of those pastors. I like response. I like nods and smiles and like amens. This is a message, a passage that really talks about this. It's about a God who never gives up on his people. 
Isn't that an amazing truth about the God that we serve? Think about it. Jonah, if there's ever a prophet that God was going to give up on, it would have been Jonah. He's the, he's the guy that clearly was the runaway prophet. He's the guy that could be tried and found guilty for desertion from the Lord's army without even a tribunal. He was running, and yet God, in his grace and in his mercy and his love, went after Jonah and grabbed him and changed his whole heart and then set his feet on solid ground again that he could then pursue the purposes of God. That's a gracious God, and that's the same God that you and I serve today if we're followers of Jesus Christ. And this is where the passage becomes so real alive. Read before we get into it, because if you're like me, how many times do you need to hear from God, son, daughter, I'll give you another chance. How many times do you need to hear from God that, hey, even though you've messed up so bad and you think that this time you can never come back to me, I will give you a second chance. Ever thought that before? God, maybe I've done too much, I've gone too far. Will you ever bring me back? You ever been in that place before? Maybe you've sinned in that familiar sin one last time and think, okay, this time God will never forgive me in. Maybe you run and you run that extra day. You're like, no, I've run too long. This is, I've, I've now gone over the line. God could never bring me back. Maybe your failures are so large and so blatant that you think that for sure God would not want to use me ever again. I'm sure Jonah thought all of these things on his pursuit, on his run away from God. And yet we see in this that God is a God that's not like us. God's not a one and done God. I know we find it hard to believe, we find it hard to fathom. God, like why would you continue to show grace to your servant? Why would you continue to show grace to me? Because I think sometimes we think God's just like us and, and some of us have walked through life and we've, we've been in friendships that we've done one thing wrong and they've like crossed us off forever and erased us from Facebook and never want to see us and we're like, well, maybe God must be like that. Some of us are that person ourselves. We're one and dones and like, you know, you crossed me once and I'm crossing you off forever. Yeah, the truth today that we want to study and look at is that God is completely different than we are. God is a God of second chances. And that's what keeps us as believers going. That's where our hope is found, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but in God who never gives up on his own. So before we get into the text, I just want to spend some time praying this morning because we believe at our church that, that uh, the pastor can preach and people can come and we can sing, but nothing is going to happen unless the power of God comes and opens minds and hearts to see and understand and changes us from the inside out. And I believe God has a message for us today. I believe God has a message for you today that he doesn't want you to miss and just come in and do church. And so let me pray as we get into God's word, then we're just going to open this up and see the heart and character of our God. Let me pray. Father, we come to you today as sinful, broken people. We come to you today oftentimes in the same spot that Jonah is running and, and trying to get away from you, Lord, and trying to get out of your plan for our lives instead of coming to you. But today, God, we come as we see this passage of Jonah to, to a God who is full of mercy and a God who is full of grace and a God who desires today to change our hearts and to stop our running away and to start a pursuit of him, of you. And so, God, we come to you today and we ask, God, that you take this sermon and you put it deep in every soul here. 
God, we pray today that you come and do what only you can do in our lives. We come to you today, God, not casually, because we know that what we're about to do is gonna have an eternal difference in every one of our lives. We come to you urgently, and we believe as we open up God's word, this is where the power is, this is where your spirit is, and so God, would you come, would you come today and speak to us, and change us, and give us hope, and give us a greater glimpse of who you are, that we might today, God, not just come and have put in an hour at church, we might today leave closer to the God that we love and serve than when we came. Oh God, we have an urgency for this. We have a longing for this. We long to see you today, God, alive in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God, a second chance. It starts at chapter one, verse 17. Point number one I want you to put in your notes is simply this. God is in the business of arranging life, altering divine appointments. I know it's a big sentence. I usually go with short ones. This this captures it, though. God is in the business of arranging life-altering divine appointments. Look at what verse 17 says. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Who appointed this? How did this all happen? Was this a happen chance in Jonah's life? Was he like, oh, man, remember in the ship? Like, throw me overboard. He gets overboard. It's like, wow, look what happened. Just happens to be a big fish here. That's pretty cool. Not at all. What happened? God appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah. This is a, a planned thing. It's a purposeful thing by, on God's behalf. God wasn't sitting up in heaven on this day going like, whoa, what a coincidence. There's a big whale right there, a fish, and wow, this is gonna work out really well. God has div- planned a divine appointment in Jonah's life to grab his full attention and get him back on his purposes for his life. It's amazing how God did this too. You think of all the ways that God could have saved Jonah at this juncture in his life. God could have saved him by, uh, underneath a, a reef could have been built up underneath. He could have stood on a reef or a sandbar. God could have sent a piece of driftwood by him and, or given him supernatural strength to swim to shore and, and, or had another boat pass by at just the right time. But, but why would God send a fish to swallow up his servant? Here's what I believe God does in our lives and God did in Jonah's life in this instance. When God's about to get our attention to draw us back to him that we'd realize a second chance we have, God does so in ways that are only, can only be accounted for as we look at it saying that could only be God. Think of any other way God could have saved Jonah. What we probably would have done at the other end is like, well, that could have been God, but it might have been because the guy was like working out for like three weeks before and he could swim a long way. Or look at what happens, just happened. But, but when God comes and has a divine appointment, he's gonna do it always in a way that we're gonna sit back and go, that can only be God. Really, verse 17 is the same as verse four of chapter one. Remember, but the Lord, but the Lord. This says here, it says, and the Lord. It's really second, same verse, second verse, same as the first. God is stepping in in Jonah's life and he does so in the shape of a fish. Was it really a whale? We don't know. Uh, Ultimately what this word fish means, it means that it's an aquatic sea beast. This divine appointment that God has for Jonah is face to face with this aquatic sea beast. We package it as a whale, we have a nice little cute whale up here, but we really don't know what it was. It was basically simply this, it was God swimming through the waters to grab a hold of his servant and with a creature that was big enough to swallow a human being, so it wasn't a little tiny little fish. It's just a supernatural act of God as all this is. Remember we said we don't want to make this all about the whale? The, the whale is here, it's important, but all this is is a supernatural act of God 
coming into Jonah's life that will define his life and transform his heart and change his trajectory. I often get caught up with this question when we read Pastors like Jonah chapter two, well, did this really happen? Some of you are like, well, did this really happen? Well, I can't even discount, I'm gonna discount everything you're gonna say because I really don't believe this could ever happen. Even Christians question whether this was really a a parable or an actual event in history. I can tell you assuredly today that this is not some made up allegory that God gave us. This actually happened throughout history. How do we know? How do we know? Number one is this, that God wrote the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is what? It's God breathed, which means what? That God breathed the story into being. And does our God ever lie? Or mislead his people? So to disbelieve this would be to call God a liar. Second way we know this is, second reason why we can believe this is true is because we believe that God is a God of the supernatural. Open up your Bible and you see from Genesis to Revelation, we see God doing things through, in human people's lives throughout human history that, is, that defies our logic. And so we decide we're gonna take out this story. Liberal scholars will tell you, we'll take this story out and they'll try and define for you which ones are real and which ones are false, but, but they can't because you take this story out and you know what we're gonna end up doing? Take out Jonah, chop out these four pages, these four chapters. We've gotta do this with half the Bible. We've got to take the whole thing and start cutting and chopping because things that make sense and don't make sense. Let me tell you simply this, that our God is a supernatural God who works in ways that that will blow our human minds because he is God. And the way he worked in Jonah's life is absolutely true. The third reason why we believe this is true, there's more, I'm just giving you three, is because in Matthew 12, verse 40, Jesus taught about Jonah not just as a guy who, hey, Jonah lived, but as a, uh, a man who actually lived and was swallowed by a fish and spent three days and three nights just what this says in the belly of a fish. So if we choose to, dis- to throw this away, you know what we're doing? We're, 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 def- we're refuting Jesus Christ. I don't get how liberal theologians can get around this whole, like Jesus said it was true, and yet somehow, and why would it not be true? Do we have such a limited view of God that God could not do this in someone's life to totally change their lives for his purposes and his glory? Of course God would do this because God is a God who loves us and will go to extreme measures to save his own and put us back on the path that he intended for us. God does this stuff all the time. He does it throughout the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament, God is in the business of taking unusual circumstances that seem negative to us and using them for our good according to his plan. If I were to stop here reading this passage, you'd say, this is, this is a bad thing, this is terrible, like, like what in the world is going on? He's just swallowed by a fish, but yet we know that God used this fish for good in Jonah's life. The whale is not God's sentence of execution, is God executing an intercession in Jonah's life, an orthodox method of rescue, absolutely unbelievable, no. You do realize that God will do anything in the lives of those he loves to again have their heart and affection and their lives fully submitted to him. You, know, you understand that, right? So in this case, God used a whale. In, in our lives, God uses all kinds of situations, positive situations, negative situations. In, in my life, I think I've told this before early on in our church, uh, God didn't use a whale to get me back on track. He actually used a deer to get me back on track. 
I graduated from college out west in uh, 1997. I moved home and worked, uh, my parents had moved to Quebec, worked on a farm in Quebec for a summer and quickly realized, as did the farmer, that farming was not my calling. <laughs> nor was trying to speak French. And so at the end of the summer, I decided, okay, well, this is, this is not the place for me. And so I called some friends, and they were all moving out to BC. And so I'm moving to BC, too. Of course, being the spiritual man I was, I didn't pray about it for an instant. I just decided that it was right, and it was good, and I'm going. So I packed up my car, picked up a friend in Dundas with his Jeep. We were driving out to BC. We were going to start a landscaping company with other friends. It was going to be fantastic. Nothing could possibly go wrong. I'm so slow, because well, not until we got to, like, Outside of the Ontario border, I started thinking that, huh, maybe this isn't the best idea after all. And I started to, to pray and ask God, God, is this of you or is this not? And the more I prayed about it, the more I got like an angst in my soul that I am not supposed to be going west. And yet here I am, car packed with everything I owned, which wasn't a whole lot, driving at 120 kilometers an hour down the Trans-Canada Highway going, I'm going west, I'm going west, I'm going west. By the time we got to Karenport, Saskatchewan, the school I graduated from to visit friends, I was just so in turmoil over this decision. I was so convinced I was making the wrong choice, but in my head the logic was, well, there's nothing at home, it's French and cows. It's not gonna happen. I just gotta keep going. And so we got, and so we spent a day with our friends and the next day we were supposed to go to Calgary for the next leg of the journey. I said to Josh, you go. I'm just not sure about this whole thing, man. He's like, What's your pro- what are you thinking? You've promised to pay rent, you've done this. You'd... I'm just not, I'm not sure. So he went, I stayed and I wrestled all day. I had this overwhelming, you're not supposed to be going, you're not supposed to be going, but nothing made sense to me. I talked to some wise people there. They gave me some good advice, I think, and I just didn't know. So everything within me said, go back east and yet here I am, my car's pointing west. So around six o'clock after supper, I decided that you want, I'm just not going to think of this anymore. I'm just going to pack up my car and I'm going to follow not the inklings of what I think God's telling me where, where, I'm supposed, where I'm going. Packed up my car, started down the Trans-Canada, cranked the music, hit 120, 130, because there's nothing out west if you haven't been. You can just go. Driving along, and all of a sudden I look up, and there was like four deer across the road. One, two, three, four. Trans-Canada Highway, uh, two lanes, four deer pretty much covered it. Without thinking, I just slammed on the brakes, went left. All three of the ones that were on the right, they kept going. The one that's right in front of me, he froze, big eye, you know. Smoked them. Thinking, now this is the worst possible thing that could happen ever. Now I'm not east, I'm not west, and I have no car. (laughs) Hitchhiked back to where I was staying. This was like a, I don't know what day it was, but... you know, tried to figure things out with my car. Amazing how God used that to completely rearrange my life for his purposes. Out of that, out of that, out of that deer, over the weekend, I picked up a job at the college for the sports director who was off with mono. I picked up a job for the rest of the year. That Christmas, I came home, and I'd known my wife, but hadn't met my wife. I met my wife that Christmas. After the year, I ended up moving to Ohio, coming back east. The next year after that, we got married, and I never, ever got west. And honestly, today, if I would have gotten west, I might not even be in ministry because the company my friend started is a successful company, and it's going really well. And I was going to be a partner in that. I look back on that, and I'm like, wow, what a gracious God we serve. Even with something that seems so negative at the time, like really, like what are the chances of hitting a deer? In Saskatchewan, you see him running for miles, right? Oh, here he comes. 
And yet God used that deer to completely rearrange my whole life according to his purposes. God used a whale to break Jonah into a full surrender. God used a deer to break me into a full surrender. Some negative things that God turns to the positive. God does, makes, has these divine appointments for us in, in so many ways. It happens in our lives all the time. Sometimes it's a financial ruin that we have to come to before we fi- finally stop running and submit ourselves to God. Sometimes it's broken relationships. Sometimes it's an unexpected illness or a failed venture or simply just a plain dumb choice. But God will do whatever it takes in our lives to get us back to where we are fully surrendered and submitted to him. Why does it sometimes take the drastic? Why does it sometimes take the drastic? Because I think we're so stubborn. It's not until God pins us down and puts us in our place that we'll stop and say, okay, God, whatever you want. That's what he did to Jonah. That's what he does to me. And that's what he does to you. I want to tell you that just because we don't understand the logic behind this doesn't mean that it's not true. God's methods are never in line with our logic and are always beyond our wildest expectations. You want another case in point of this? Think, think this truth and reality of the, the history of the world. Think Jesus Christ. Think about Jesus Christ. If you study verse 17, the great thing about verse 17 is this, this is why I'm spending so much time on it. It's actually a foreshadowing of God's greatest rescue in Jesus Christ. You think a whale blows your mind? You think a whale blows your mind? Think about this. In God's greatest rescue of humanity, you know what he did? Something much more logic-defying than sending a whale to swallow up a man and spit him out. He sent his only son, the one that he so loved so deeply and dearly, he sent him from heaven to earth to get swallowed up by death and spend three days and three nights in the belly of a grave only to rise again on the third day that we might have eternal life. Well, doesn't seem so far-fetched now, does it? This is how much God loves you and I. Yeah, Jonah was swallowed up by a whale and spit out that he might bring salvation to Nineveh. Jesus was swallowed up by death and spit out three days later that he might bring salvation to everyone who will acknowledge the, the, the name of Jesus Christ, who will turn from their sin and repent of their sin and in desperation turn to Jesus. And just like Jonah's life here, just when he thought there was no hope, God sends a whale. Just like in our, in our lives, when we think there's absolutely no hope, you know what God does? He sends us Jesus Christ. He sends us not to an encounter with a whale, but to an encounter with a living person, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, there is a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a four hundredth chance, and a four thousandth chance, and a four millionth chance. Just when we least expect, and at times when we, least, we, when, we, when we least deserve it. This is how God still works in our lives through Jesus Christ. I love how God gives Jonah a complete transformation of man in this salvation process. If you look at chapter one, if you remember back from chapter one, there was nothing in Jonah's life at all that was bringing any praise or any glory to God. He had nothing really good to say to God or about God. He was running from God, and yet look, after this whale experience, I guess, I guess you spent three nights in the belly of a whale, it would change you, right? 
But look what happens. Look what happens when Jonah's in the whale. All of a sudden, his whole demeanor's changed. His whole outlook has changed. God's intercession is not meant to leave Jonah just as he is. It's meant to change him for eternity for the glory of God. And point number two I want you to write down is this. God's intercession transforms wayward hearts into worshiping souls. God's intercession transforms wayward hearts into worshiping souls. And this is what God desires us to encounter his son and be changed into a worshiping soul. Look at 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Notice what he's not praying. He's not praying for deliverance at this point. He's praying a prayer of thanksgiving. Notice also this, that Jonah hasn't prayed yet in this book. This is the first time we see Jonah praying in the book of Jonah. You think that when he got a call from God as magnificent as it was, he would have stopped and said, okay, God, help me with this, or is this really true? But he didn't pray when he got the call. He didn't pray when he was making his travel arrangement plans and going for Tarshish instead of Nineveh. He didn't pray then. He didn't pray when he was confronted with the reality of his life on the boat with the sailors. He just, he didn't pray. He didn't pray before he said, hey, chuck me into the sea. But even when he didn't pray, God is pursuing him and God is chasing him and God is hunting him down. And, and, and when God saved him, all of a sudden, Jonah realized the, the moment of like, Eureka! God still loves me. God's still gracious to me. Then is when he prays and he prays a prayer not to a God, but to his God. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. He's, he's praying to his, his Savior, his God. He's, he's realizing the message that he's been preaching for all these years to others. He's a prophet, right? He's, he's telling Israel, the Lord loves you. He's, 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 he's reminding people of his grace, and all of a sudden now he's finally realizing for himself, personal encounter, that this isn't just a God. This is not just Israel's God. This is my God my powerful, ever-loving Father that I get to commune with, that I can count on at all times. He is, he's realizing some of the truths we see in Scripture in this moment. He's, he's realizing that God is not just a God who says he loves you, but he is a God who has an everlasting love even in our worst times. He's probably recounting some of the promises God gave his people, like Jeremiah 32, 40, I will make them an everlasting covenant. God says that I will not turn away from them ever in doing good to them. Isn't it amazing how it sometimes takes a radically negative circumstance in life to finally get us to stop and turn to God and and know the fullness of God's love and blessing upon us? Because we're so stubborn, we're so consumed with ourselves, we're so on our own agendas that we don't stop. But when we do, here's what we see. We see a God who loves us and who will never give up on us. This is what Jonah is seeing right here in this passage. And so then Jonah bursts into a song, not of deliver me, but a song of thank you for delivering me. Interesting, isn't it, that he's in the belly of the fish thanking God for delivering him. I found that as strange. Yeah, here's Jonah. He's actually, he, he, he lets a song erupt, a prayer erupt from his heart of, thank you, God. Here's what probably happened in this, because it doesn't really give us an account of what happened in the time of Jonah being in the sea and then Jonah being in the, in the whale. So here's probably what happened. Jonah's like, remember, stubborn, like, you know what? It's my fault, this storm. I don't care. Throw me overboard. I'm, I'm sure when they, like, 
picked him up and like threw him over. Like halfway from like there to here, he's probably like, uh-oh. Right? That was a bad plan. And so once he hit the water, remember the, calm, the, the storm calmed? I'm sure once he hit the water, water, the storm in Jonah didn't calm. Because now he realized, I'm done. And so in this moment, it doesn't say in the text, but here's what I think happened. In this moment, it's like a, the, 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 the eureka moment of like, I need God. Oh, God, save me. Help. And then he probably was like paddling for dear life and sweating it out and probably got to the point where he was so exhausted, he was just sort of like, well, I'm just going to take one last deep breath. And we know from the text, he expected to wake up, but not in the presence of God. Took his last breath and all of a sudden like, out of nowhere. And so you see this song here. It's actually Jonah waking up in the whale going, I'm alive. This is astounding. Like I... I've been saved, like, I don't deserve to be saved. I'm not sure how I got saved, but knock on rubber, here I am. And then he busts out this song that is much like the Psalms. This Psalm is a lot like Psalm 3 and Psalm 5 and Psalm 16 and 18 and 31 and 42. There's a whole bunch of them. It has all the elements of a psalm. It's an introductory summary of answered prayer. There's the report of personal crisis, which we know is true in his life, the report of divine rescue, and then a vow to praise God. And we see somewhere in the belly of the whale, somewhere in here, God's grace has reached out to Jonah and has completely turned a runner into a reverer one who is running from God to one who worships. And so Jonah has a little prayer and praise inside the whale by himself. You know we can have those anywhere at any time, right? And in his praise to God, I want to point out a couple things about the character of God that we can, that we can grab onto today, that we can take with us this week about a God who is such a giving God, a God who is so full of grace that he is willing to give his people second chances when we deserve them the least. This is good news for you and I because we don't like to admit it a lot, but man, is there often times in our lives where we say, God, just please give me a second chance. Oh, I failed again, just give me a second chance, God, but then we buy into Satan's lies. Well, he's not gonna do it this time. You may as well keep walking in your sin, walking in your shame, doing your thing, because God's given up on you. Look at the character of God, that's not true. It's, look at the character of God. Number one is this, when I send out my SOS, God is gonna respond. When I send out my SOS, God responds. Look at what Jonah says. Inside the belly of the fish, it's amazing. Here's another miracle, there's so many miracles in this text. Here's another miracle that Jonah wasn't consumed by the acid and whatever else in the belly of the fish. But here's the truth, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. Verse seven says this, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You have to know this about your God. No matter where you are today, if you're running from God today and you find yourself far away from God today, which I'm sure some people even in this room are, you're here in body but far away from God in spirit. If you find yourself there today or if you find yourself in a good place today knowing that one day you might be far from there, you gotta know this about your God. When you get to your time of needing him the most, you send out your SOS. You know what he's gonna do? He's gonna answer you every single time. No amens on that? <laughs> yeah. 
He's going to answer you every single time. I'm, I'm amazed at Jonah, but I'm not amazed at Jonah because I can relate to the guy. But I find this interesting how even the first I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Last we heard about Jonah, he wanted nothing to do with God. Now all of a sudden he's calling out to God. So typical of us fickle human beings, isn't it? I'll do it my way, God is good. Then you get yourself in a jam, you're like, ah, okay, now I need you. I'm amazed that God is so gracious to us. I think when I was a kid and you know, you go to bed sometimes mad at your dad and you're like, I never want to talk to you again and if you're lucky, I'll be here in the morning because I'm running away tonight. Oh, really? Also, the thunder and lightning starts the night and the first thing he's like, Dad! My dad, oh, son, I'm surprised you're still here. I thought you were running away. What could you be calling me for now? Sort of what, what Jonah's doing, he's mad, but he realizes that the only place he has to go to is God and he is counting on in this moment of, of, of utmost distress We've been in distressful places before, but Jonah, he's distressed. Can you imagine being in the middle of a sea, no one around you, knowing that you've probably upset or disappointed, maybe even angered the God that is on your side? He's distressed. He's, he's anxious. He's panicked, probably at a loss for thought or words, unable to catch his breath. He's distressed. In fact, it says here that he was in the belly of Sheol. I think he expected to wake up in hell. He wasn't like knocking on the door of death. Like he had one hand on the knob and he was starting to turn it and he wasn't expecting something good on the other side. And yet he still had enough confidence in his God to call out to his God knowing that his God was gonna answer him. Isn't that astounding? Isn't that faith that we need in our God? It says in verse seven that he remembered the Lord. Oh, he didn't forget the Lord, trust me. It wasn't like, he, oh yeah, oh yeah. God, I forgot about God. No, it's, it's, it's an internal like, oh yeah, I, I remember, I know the reality of how much I need God, how silly I am to run. And God was still there for him. And all he had to do was yell help and God responded. And in our times of distress, in our times of feeling like we are knocking on the door of death and maybe eternal separation from God forever, all we have to do is stop and say, God, I need you, I help, and, and he will respond. This is the God that we serve. This is a God of grace and mercy. It blows my mind that we can disappoint him over and over and over again, yet he still responds at our first cry when we're honest and earnest and humble in seeking him. When God... When I send out my SOS, God responds. I want you to know today that you might have removed God from your speed dial, but he has never blocked your number. And all it takes is you to call him and he will answer and once again show you the wonder of his glory and his love and his grace. This, is, this, this part of God, God's answering is not trying to show us Jonah's faith, I assure you of that. You know what it's showing us? It's showing us God's faithfulness to his people. God's love for his kids, Psalm 18, 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Praise the Lord. This is true every single time in our lives. Second thing about the character of God we have to know as we worship the Lord today is this. When I chart my course, God overrules. 
When I chart my course, God overrules. Look at verse three. This makes, this makes the character of God so much more real and so much more alive. We can talk about God's sovereignty, but listen to God's sovereignty in Jonah's life and think about God's sovereignty in your own life. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah's having a moment here where he's finally realizing that, you know what, all these things that I thought were happening by my own accord or by circumstance, it was really just God. It was really just God overseeing every single thing in my life. It's like amazing and I got that ship thinking I was running away from you. You planned that. I, the storm that came, that wasn't by accident. I never saw it in the moment, but it wasn't by accident. And then the sailors, like, remember that spinning the thing? It come, like, even my stubborn, throw me into the sea. Like, what? None of it's by accident? That's, wow, God. Wow, God. You're sovereign over not just my good choices, but my bad choices. It means, it means that we can program the GPS. Jonah could program his GPS, but God determines the route and orchestrates our path in every wrong turn. You know what God does? Recalibrating. <laughs> the destination set. God is so gracious to you and so loving to you as he is to Jonah that, that even when we make our own plans, God will establish our steps, as it says in Proverbs 16:9. Yes, God gives us free will, but do you know this? You're ultimately at the mercy of the hand of God. God gives you free will. He gives you volition, but you're ultimately at the mercy of the hand of God. This isn't like a, I don't want to be at the hand of God. This is a, like, thank you, I'm at the hand of God. Whoo! Takes the pressure off me, because, man, if it's left up to me, I'm, I'm going to mess this up nine out of ten times. By nature, I'm, a, I'm, I'm good at tearing down, but not building up. You tell, ask me to tear down your deck, heartbeat, build it back up, I'm lost. Pretty good with that in my own life, too. It comes naturally to me. I'd hate to think of what would be of my life if it wasn't for God's providential grace and power in my life. I know what would be of my life, and I wouldn't be standing here talking to you today. This is how much God loves us. You know those little monitors that are on convicts? Well, we have one of those on us, but it's not because we're convicts. Because It's not because God's trying to, to watch over us and keep track of us in a bad way. He's, he's, he's monitoring our every move. He's leading and he's guiding. He's, he's working out his will in our lives according to his good purposes, even in the things that we look at. And like, that is impossible to make good. Jonah's giving God praise because even when he charts his course, God overrules I find this a breath of fresh air. You ever find yourself sometimes in that place where like, oh man, I'm gonna screw up, I know I'm gonna screw up, I just, just relax. God is bigger than that. God is more gracious than that. God loves you more than that to let you make a mess out of your life if you are his. The wayward turned worshiper, worshiping God for his response, worshiping God for his sovereign power and grace in his life, worshiping God for this. When I fall away, God brings me back, verses four to six. When I fall away, God brings me back. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Again, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you, I love these words, yet you, yet you, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. 
When I fall away, God brings me back. Jonah is just amazed here at the goodness and the grace of God. He says, that, he says here, look what he says, I am driven away from your sight. Was Jonah really driven away from God's sight? Did God drive Jonah away? No, Jonah was running away, but somehow the enemy had it spun in his head, which he does to us too, spun in his head, that man, God's driving me away. He's pushing me further away. I'm such a bad person. Actually, when it says here that he is um, driven away, it's the same, banished is another word. It's the same word used in Leviticus 21.7 when uh, describing a woman whose husband had divorced her. Jonah's in this place where he's thinking that God has like cut him off. And yet he comes to the end and says, but yet you never cut me off, unbelievable. Not only was he stressed, he was in a bad spot. We saw the anxiety of his in verse two, but look, what, here's where he really was. He had seaweed wrapped around his melon. The deep surrounding him, he was at the very bottom of the bottom of the sea, at the roots of the mountains. He was basically at the very, very rock bottom. Down in the land, down under, not Australia, but down as close to the pit, hell as you could be. Just reemphasizing for us the spiritual and physical death that results of being away from God. You have to know this is real. This is, this is where you get yourself. This is where we get ourselves. We run from God. We get ourselves to the bottom of the bottom, wrapped up in all kinds of things that we don't know how to get out of. No way out, but yet the Lord. You have to see these, but the Lord, my God. But the Lord, my God, why does God allow us to get to rock bottom? That's not loving. Why would God allow me to get to rock bottom? You know why God allows us to get to rock bottom? So that we'll stop and look up to him and reach up to him. And some of us will never look up if we're not at rock bottom. And yet the truth is, even when you're at rock bottom, when you're at your rock bottom, God will still reach down and pull you up. He will find you and he will pull you up and bring you home. Reality was brought to me in a real way this past week as I was studying this passage, thinking about even this, like, man, when I fall away, God brings me back. I'm, I'm thinking of all the times that in my heart I've fallen away from God, and God keeps bringing me back and bringing me back, and then uh, one night this week as we're getting ready to go somewhere, uh, open up our front door to, to leave, and our dog, who is constantly just, just like bolts out. You guys know my relationship with my dog by now, right? I stood back, and I'm like, oh, well, I guess he's gone forever. <laughs> we don't have time tonight. And then I hear my son come bounding down the stairs with like, Sherlock! And I'm like, he'll be fine. If he's not back in two, we're gone. And his eyes just filled with tears. If there's anyone who's close to the, if there's anyone, if the dog's owner is anyone in our house, it's Zach. He sleeps on his bed. They're like, they're buddies. You know, it's his responsibility. Like the dog just adores my son and vice versa. And so, so I'm looking at Zach and I'm like, Zach, you know what? Some of these things just happen sometimes. <laughs> Mom falls into the corner. We haven't seen him. He doesn't usually go past the corner. I think this time it's for good. He's like, dad, we can't let it happen. Ruth's looking at me like, you know, you can't just sit here. I'm like, I know. I'm like, well, should we get the car? Zach's like, I already got the keys for the car. Let's go. Let's find this thing, you know? And so we get in the car to my greatest delight and uh, start down the road and get to the corner. And usually it doesn't go past the corner. So I'm thinking, we're going to be looking for a long time. And so we turn right onto, the, onto Pancake Lane. It's a busy street. I'm like, hopefully he hasn't gotten hit by a car. Dad's like, don't even sit, Zach. Don't even say that, Dad. And so we drive a little bit down haste, and there he is, just like not any intention of coming back for sure. Like he, he just wasn't coming home. 
He was free and he was glad about it. And yet, there he is, sniffing around a pole, you know, trying to do his thing. And, and so uh, Zach's like, just, just stop. I'll go get him, Dad. I'll go get him. So I pulled the car over and he's like, don't go too close. I don't want to run away. And Zach got out. And the first time it's ever happened in the four and a half years of our dog, Zach just is like, Sherlock. Instead of Sherlock running, he just stopped and allowed Zach to come to him and like pick him up and bring him home. But I guarantee you that dog would have not come home if we didn't go after him. And all the way home, Zach's like, see, he's a good dog, Dad. He didn't run this time. He's a good dog, Dad. Don't we love him? Don't we love him? Well, some of us do. <laughs> it's, it's a puppy and a boy, but it's really Jonah and his God, us and, his, and our God. Even when we get to the place where we are at the bottom of the pit with no intention of coming back or no capability of coming back, God loves us enough to chase us down and find us and pick us up and bring us home. And if you're saved today, if you're saved, if you've truly professed faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be assured of this. God will never let you get away from his presence. You can try your hardest. You can make every mistake you know how to make to try and sever that relationship. You can't possibly do it. That's how much God loves you. And when you fall away, he will bring you back. And that's our life, right? It's a process of coming back, falling away, coming back. Does it seem like that's the way it is? And yet God is so faithful and so gracious to us. If you're saved today, God wants to bring you back every time, maybe even today for some of you. Because the last truth of this worship song to God is this, when I forsake God, he still loves me. Verses eight and nine, when I forsake God, he still loves me. And God's heart is always for his people. God's heart is always for his son. God's heart is always for his daughter. Look what it says in verse eight. Those who, repay, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He remembered the Lord and he's like, man, how foolish I was to forsake God and chase after idols. The sailors were chasing after idols or forsaking the love of God. And Jonah wasn't chasing after idols. The idol he was chasing after was himself. And chasing after the idol of self, he was forsaking the hope of steadfast love. But the steadfast love didn't change. It's always been there, always will. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And this, this reality of steadfast love has brought Jonah to this place again of thanksgiving and, and sacrifice and a, a renewed vow to God. He's, he's like, wow, I have a new song on my heart. I got a new desire to follow you and live for you and, and I will do whatever. See the character of God and this is what happens in our lives. We just, we, we just want to do whatever we can for God because we love him. We realize that we can't find a God like that anywhere else in the world. He is the one and only who can offer us the very things our souls long for. And God's love will always be constant even when we forsake him. This isn't like a greater that I can forsake God all my life. No, this is a like, wow, a love like that. I don't want to run from that. I want to run to that. I want to run to God. I want to wrap myself up in God. I want God to be my everything. But you never have to fear that God is not going to love you. If there's ever a prophet that should have feared, it was Jonah. Why is he in here to show us that we don't have to fear because salvation is ultimately not even of us, it's of the Lord. This last sentence here in verse nine is a summary of the whole book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God was gonna bring, bring rescue to Nineveh. God saved the sailors in the process. God is even gonna rescue his prophet, his runaway prophet in the process. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
And when we see the salvation of God, we're like Jonah. Our whole lives are changed. They're rearranged. Jonah's a new man. From chapter one to chapter two, what happened? This is, he's a new man. He's a completely different guy. What happened? The whale happened. God happened. God grabbed a hold of him and brought him in and showed him the goodness and the grace of his Savior. And he became a man who wanted to follow after God by the end of chapter two. I know we're thinking maybe now, maybe now Jonah will be excited to take this message of salvation to Nineveh. Maybe now Jonah will be fully surrendered to the plans of the Lord. Maybe once we see the fullness of the goodness of the grace of God, we will be men and women who just love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, avail ourselves to God and say, God, whatever you want for my life, do it. And then we see chapter verse 10 here in chapter two. And you can't skip verse 10. Why does God give us second chances that we'll once again worship him, once again be available for his purposes? And look what God does in verse 10 to just, to, to just to hammer this God of second chances home for us. God grants a clean slate and a renewed opportunity for Jonah. God's grace grants clean slates and renewed opportunities for his people and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Don't miss the significance of this verse. We can be like, oh yeah, we get it. You know, God's a God of second chances. God's gonna, God's gonna do whatever it takes to get us. He's gonna put himself right in front of us. He's gonna rearrange our hearts in the process. But here's what God does. He takes it even a step further than that. God causes the fish to vomit Jonah up on dry land. This doesn't sound big to you. It's a big deal to me, I think. Don't you think? It's not like, okay, you learned your lesson now. Start swimming, pal. Not only will I reveal myself to you, not only will I rescue you, but I'm gonna press the reset button and put you exactly where you started this whole ordeal in the first place. Some commentators think when the pastor says that, that the fish vomited Jonah, it's showing that God's still a little disgusted with him, that God's still frustrated with him. I don't think that's really the case at all. I think it's more of God just doing the Heimlich maneuver on the fish, going, okay, you've done your job, buddy. <laughs> to catapult Jonah back to where God wanted him to then be available for his purposes. Many commentators believe, you know where Jonah ended up after this whole ordeal? You know where he ended up? Joppa. Remember that map? Went to Joppa to go for Tarshish. We're supposed to be heading for Nineveh. Headed out, they rode and rode and rode. Storm came, tried to get to shore. Well, right back where I started. Reset, giant reset button. Boop, start over. Wow. No, like, okay, Jonah, now here's the consequences. Here's the things. Here's the, we're going to have to deal with this. You know, you're going to have to time out for a little while. You're going to go to, you know, prophet prison, you know, all these things. Boop. Reset. Jonah, I love you. I want to give you a clean slate and a renewed opportunity in this life. I want to give you a do-over. That's grace, brothers and sisters. Undeserved, unreserved favor of God, that is grace. This is the grace that we so desperately need. I even though some of you are sitting here today going, that's sweet, man, but I wish I could have a do-over. I wish I could have a clean, state and a clean slate, clean start and a fresh opportunity. The, the same God that moved in Jonah's life is the same God that moves in our lives today. 
Chapter two is a story of beautiful redemption for the rebellious believer, for the backslidden, for the wanderer, for the one who gave up on God that God has yet to give up on you. And this reset button that Jonah got, do you realize that this is the free gift of God? In his grace, Jesus offers us second and third and fourth and four hundredth and four thousandth and four hundred thousandth and four millionth chances. And I believe that God wants us to see this story today for what it is because he wants to offer you and I a second chance this morning. God of grace, a God who loves you, who will always hear your calls, who's providentially leading in your life who will pull you back up whenever you fall down, whose love will never leave you. This is a God who wants to give you a second chance, and you might be like Jonah this morning, thinking, you know what? Oh, I am too far gone. I may as well just drown in the sea of my sorrows because God will never come back and give me a second chance. God is offering you a second chance this morning through his prophet Jonah. You don't understand, pastor, how much I've sinned and how far I've been. God is offering you a second chance this morning but it's been so long since I even had a love for the Lord in my heart. I used to have it, but it's been so long since I've really been moved by the Spirit of God. God is offering you a second chance this morning. But it's been years since I really availed myself to the purposes of God and was useful for his kingdom, and I think that God's probably moved on from me. He's, he's got someone else in that role. Now God is offering you a second chance this morning. But I haven't read his book in weeks or months or years. I've been talking about God once in a while, but I've just been cold and stale. God is offering you a second chance this morning, but I don't even know if he'd recognize my voice. It's been so long since I prayed. Will he really, will he really give me a second chance like he did Jonah? God is a God of second chances. And you can never run far enough away from God to have him give up on you. You can never separate yourself from God if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The way that God works in Jonah's life is the way that God works in my life and your life. And God is offering you a second chance this morning if you're here and you're dead in your soul and you're like, I know that I am not near God. I want to be so close to God today. God is offering you a second chance and the moment we hear God's voice is the moment we respond. Jonah's life, God used a whale. In my life, God used a deer among many other things and sometimes God even uses sermons as the divine encounter with a loving, living God to draw his people back into a vital, powerful relationship with himself where we are once again useful for his kingdom. And I believe all God wants to say to us today is simply this, if you're here and you're listening, I love you and I wanna give you another shot at this relationship thing with me in this thing we call the Christian life. Let me pray. Father, I pray that today is a day for many here that aren't walking in a relationship with you in a close, tight, alive, vibrant relationship with you. God, I pray that today is the day that you put an encounter with yourself in front of their face, that you swallow them up, Lord, and allow them to see the full reality of who you are, that you rearrange their hearts, put a new song and a new sound of worship on their lips, God, and you catapult their lives to a place where they are fully following you. 
God, we know that life is difficult. We know that life is hard. We know that we are so imperfect, God. We know that we are so undeserving, yet that's the miracle of the grace of God. Is you're an ever-pursuing, never-giving-up God of second chances. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would remind us all of that this morning. For those running, God, would you stop them today? For those contemplating running, God, or finding themselves in a stale place, God, would you, would you speak to them again this morning? For those, God, that are found in a relationship with you right now and are, are loving the vibrancy of their life, God, would you just again encourage them and strengthen them on this journey of life with the full reality of the God that they serve, the God that we serve? Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for Jonah. As much of a mess up as he is, we can all relate. And thank you, God, for showing us through Jonah's life the amazing power and grace and character of our God. Amen.